hello, hello, hi, I'm talking like this. This is how I talk normally, like this. Yes, hello, hi. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performance in Edmonton. Uh, I'm Fonda. And I'm Andrew. And this show is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Um, so, yes, Paul is halfway across the world this week, and we have um, seen some things without him. So first, we're going to talk about um, Ballet BC. Alberta Ballet brought in um, Ballet BC, uh, a triple bill from them as part of their season this year. Um, yeah, so let's let's get dig right into it. What did what did we see with Ballet BC, Andrew? Uh, well, it was actually quite great because they split the evening up into a triple bill. So there were three pieces. Uh, and the first one we saw was Enemy in the Figure, which was choreographed uh, by William Forsyth and uh, was actually a lot of fun. I thought it was a really great way for them to, to kick off the programming for the evening. So do you want to maybe set us up with uh, what we were met with on stage for this first piece? Sure, they have um, so they have a bit of a diagonal wall going, I guess, across about two thirds of the stage. And because this wall is there, it kind of allows them an interesting, um, an interesting um, method where they can actually do entrances and exits within the par- within the stage itself. Um, so there's a lot of um, play and interplay of people kind of like appearing on one side or the other of this wall. Um, and then the other um, uh, bit of stage, uh, like technical stage setting stuff they had was this rope. There was a there was this really great play with a rope that um and it, it looked like they were you know they were kind of shaking it across the stage um to look like electricity almost or to look like um maybe the uh, you know the line in a heart monitor or something like that um it it had sort of a bit of a life of its own in that way uh, and was a dynamic moving piece of the set. Yeah, and the wall that uh, ran diagonally down the center of the stage was also curved, so they were able to do a lot of uh, cool stuff with the lights uh, on it. Um, and yeah, and that rope, uh, it sort of reminds me of another show that we saw uh, actually in Portugal. Uh, what was the name of... Uh, it's called In the, in the I- Mind of I- Igor. Igor, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's... It's actually quite mesmerizing to watch some good rope work, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. Well, and and so the dancing was very heightened. There was a lot um, of uh, there was there were a lot of lifts, a lot of high scissor kicks up in the air. The dancers seemed to be split by sort of like the costuming that they were wearing. So there were some ones uh, that were in all white bodysuits, and then the ones that were in black kind of tended to have a lot more sort of like staccato and um, sort of. Of, uh, virtuosic movements whereas the the white one even the piece opens with um sort of one of these dancers in a white bodysuit laying down on the stage and she's sort of doing this like strange writhing yoga movements where she's got sort of like you know she's laying on the floor but she's only really got her butt and her head on the floor so she's doing this crazy arches and her legs are kind of like writhing in and out of her body and so then to have these other dancers um in the dark costuming come out and just be really um sort of uh um forceful and frenetic in their movements it's it seemed a lot like they were sort of like 
referring to the quality of maybe electricity or, you know, just this sort of kind of like zazzly sort of <laughs> sort of uh, uh, qualities of movement. Um, yeah. What did you think of the movement that you saw in the piece? Were there any sorts of um, things that stood out to you? Yeah, so there were 11 dancers, and this is definitely a show that you could watch like 10 times over and walk away with something a little new and different mm-hmm. from. Um, I really liked the sort of full body extensions. Like there was lots of big reaches and big movement. Um, and, you know, ballet dancers, you know, they're just such beautiful form. You know, it's uh, always a treat to see that. And it's always a treat to see, I think, as we were talking at the show, is to see these uh, ballet dancers uh, performing more contemporary style movements. So uh, not always necessarily the most graceful, um, flattering <laughs> images that they're creating with their bodies. Uh, but those, uh, you know, professional athletes, um, you know, just going, uh, given 110%, as they say, into these more um, untraditional movements that you wouldn't really get to see them making uh, very often it was, it was quite uh fulfilling Mm -hmm. there was one there was one part i know you mentioned that looked a little bit like a metronome there were three dancers in the background sort of doing this um sort of uh rocking bit uh, with their legs back and forth again very straight legs but because of the way that they're rocking they look like they're a set of metronomes going on while this other dancer is doing um something uh, you know quite dynamic uh downstage in front of them um one of the other things that i really did notice again about the costuming is that there were certain um dancers at 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 certain points that the type of this type of costuming increased throughout the piece um it was about 25 minutes long i think um and there was it was like this black fringe so when the dancers would move a lot they would have this sort of like um this fringe would sort of frizzle out from their bodies and again sort of lending to that feeling of like sort of like static electricity like a little bit of shocking and there was one dancer a male dancer was in like by the end of the show he was in or by the end of this piece he was in like a full jacket and pants made of this fringe black fringe material um which was just looked like a heck of a lot of fun to to be in <laughs> kind of reminded me of um flamenco regalia or um uh, like a matador oh, <laughs> sort of style uh yeah um well that so that was the first piece uh the second piece um I don't know if you want to move on to... Yeah, absolutely. So the second piece we've actually seen before, um, what was it, about three years ago now? I think it was during season two of this podcast. So yeah, it was um, it's Solo Echo, Crystal Pite Solo Echo. Actually, we saw it as part of another triple bill that Ballet BC was doing um, for their anniversary at the BAMP Center. Um, and how did you feel about seeing this piece the second time around? Well, it has been like, a number of years since seeing it the first time around. <laughs> but um, I in, instantly, as soon as the curtain came up and you see uh, this sort of band of light running horizontally across the stage, sort of capturing this falling snow, that brought me right back to the first time. You're like, oh yeah, this is just such a beautiful, beautiful image uh, that we get to open up uh, on. It's almost like watching snow uh, in the headlights while driving, you know, down the dark highway. Um, and then also what I, I really enjoyed about the movement in this piece, because uh, it was also a large, larger ensemble. I think there was about eight or so dancers. Um, there's almost this Edward Moybridge quality, uh, and Edward Moybridge is sort of one of the 
founding fathers of photography where and film where uh he would take these rapid still images of moving animals and you can see each stage of you know the gait of a horse running or whatnot so there's there's some of this type of quality to to the movement in this piece where these dancers would burst from the side of the stage uh into this beam of light and then all freeze um and you get uh, sort of the sense that maybe they're the maybe the same person at different moments in time uh, in, you know, in this beautiful, uh, you know, winter uh, night with snow falling in the background. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Though the the sort of the the technique that they're using, they're using snow as a projection, but also actual snow on the stage um, or, you know, like plastic cotton flakes or whatever they're using um so you're and and the snow increases at certain parts of the show and and sort of like it it sort of just allows this amazing dramatic music that they're using um so the music is all all brahms um it's so very classical but also just like very um heavy and dramatic and the piece is inspired um by a poem by mark strand called lines for winter um and so you know, when you think thematically about winter and what the piece is trying to sort of talk to you about is this just, I feel that it was a little bit of that kind of like aging process. You know, winter is sort of like the time of the time of quietness and of endings. Um, and it's, uh, Again, you can listen to our uh, episodes from way back when. We'll post a link to it um, about. And I feel I got I got a very different sense from it. I thought that it was so sad um, at the end last time. And I don't know, this time I felt like it was actually just more of a comment on on beauty and the natural progress of the body. Um, So the piece is also a little bit divided into two parts. There's one that you can definitely tell there's... um, there's more um, divergence and disconnection between the dancers. And then in the second half of it, um, they all start dancing a lot more um, connectedly as a group. And they kind of, you know, flock a lot closer together um, and just makes for some very beautiful lines and really um, just stunning imagery. Um, and it's it's no, uh, yeah, it's no wonder, of course, that um, Ballet BC keeps this in their repertoire because it's a very... Um, a very visually, visually um, pleasing piece to watch. Yeah. And so how about, okay, let's now let's go to like the clincher, the last one. Petite Ceremonie um, uh, was a world premiere done in February 2011 by Ballet BC. So Ballet BC is a creation based company. They bring in these choreographers to create works for them. Um, And this one was just a fun and just very meta romp through what it's like to be a dancer sort of living in a box. Um, it felt like a party. And this is this piece is choreographed by, um, you know, the dancers of Ballet BC and Mehdi Valersky. So, Andrew, what did uh, set us up here? What's happening in this piece? Uh, so we came back from second in- intermission. They had somehow managed to sweep the snowbank off the stage from solo echo <laughs> and the house lights are up and the curtain is up and there is a sort of like a white floor with these white boxes uh sort of set up almost looked like uh like the beginning of like a checkers game or a chess <laughs> game uh but the house lights uh were on and you could uh see the very like the guts of the stage um so the concrete wall you could see like the broom <laughs> 
<laughs> leaning up against the emergency exit door at the back of the stage. Uh, so very stripped down background. Uh, and then uh, a single dancer comes out and uh, starts with these little, um, I want to call it like TikTok movements with his feet. Um, yeah, they're, just, they're just sort of like touching their toes to the top of their foot one after the other, like so on each side. And so it's just this very kind of, and it because of the way that they're touching their feet, it, all, it makes a sound. It has a sound to it. It starts in silence, we should note too. Um, and then, of course, the music that they use in this piece just really escalates. Um, uh, and and the, it's the sound of the dancers and their, their own bodies that make a lot of it in the first part. Um, and I'll note that also the dancers are all wearing formal attire the men are in tuxes but bare feet and the um the women are all in lbd's little black dresses but bare feet um and so then um kind of the dancers even come in through the audience um so they're walking through um the the voms and the aisles and they they all kind of like end up on stage doing this little line of this like kind of like foot padding and uh and then you know they they break out and they start there's a lot of meta stuff there's um the guy with the boom mic comes out he's juggling and he's talking about um the relationship between the dancers and you know what they're trying to do and it's it's quite funny yeah it was a very um self-aware and meta piece in moments which is great it's always nice when um contemporary dance has a bit of sense of humor about itself Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so that was really brought home as you said when uh this fellow carrying a boom mic and another fellow who's juggling these three balls uh uh, kind of sidle out onto stage and um, it, it was a little vaudeville sort of comedy routine um, and the uh, juggler asking the microphone uh, the, the, the the boom mic operator uh, questions where his arms were already fully extended but he would still shrug he still has to shrug <laughs> while he's holding the boom mic above his head which was just a hilarious movement itself um and so then yeah they they start playing music like blue moon which is uh rogers and hart song and very classical um the the movement still ends up being kind of it's almost like really self-referential the entire time like they know they're dancing they know they're at a party there's a lot of sort of dynamic between i felt like it was a little bit battle of the sexes uh, at times um, in terms of, you know, the what they're trying to get done at this party, let's say. And um, then they go into um, a Mozart serenade. And finally, they finish um, with Vivaldi's Winter, which um, is a very recognizable, super dramatic piece of music um, that, uh, I mean, maybe most people probably know it as the opening uh, to Chef's Table on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, that's probably where people have heard it most recently. Um, but it, yeah, again, so they're they're wrapping up this party with this huge flourish, a very classical music flourish, lots of great dancing, lots of really wonderful vocalization. I don't often like vocalization by dancers, um, but this piece just had like great gasps and you know like oh, things like that and it was it worked it worked really well um and uh and in in the end they finish in this very very statuesque um structure that they, they've they've made with the boxes um so kind of just like a little cherry on the end of the night and i this piece was my favorite it was i have on i thought you know while I, I was watching it with a grin on my face the entire time thinking i have never seen anything like this before and just god damn i love it so much it was it was fantastic 
Well, now sounds like a good time for an ad. On the latest episode of the Well Endowed podcast, Chris Chang Yen Phillips speaks with Edmonton Community Foundation CEO Martin Garber Conrad about the history of ECF's home at Hilltop House. And Hunter Cardinal discusses his new play, Lake of the Strangers, and the process of working with community to create new myths. To find out more about the history of Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well Endowed podcast, visit ecfoundation.org. I work at ECF. Full disclosure. <laughs> I know. We still have to It's do- a pretty cool office, though. And the story that uh, Martin tells about uh, the the mansion is, is pretty neat. Um, folks should come by for a visit. We love showing the place off. And it is kind of a neat, neat spot. Hilltop House is pretty cool. We were thinking of doing our wedding photos there, actually, because it's just like there's like cool old house stuff. And then there's also just like really neat new basement weird stuff too um also very hard to find um don't go where google tells you to anyway (laughs) um so yes also this week um speaking of myths actually in the last uh ad that we just did um yesterday we saw a really cool um a really cool latinx night at uh at the albert avenue community hall which was a fundraiser for the thousand faces festival um and it was um it was just a great um sort of like cabaret style um uh night and had some great food by three amigos and three like sets of uh great artists um sebastian barrera did some great flamenco um and kind of took us on a trip around the world uh, yeah so very nice selection of like uh revolution songs and Mm -hmm. flamenco and uh yeah music from like what about six different countries i think Yeah, yeah 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 cuba and brazil and uh, Spain. Spain, yeah, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And then on Chile, he, had, he did a few songs from Chile too, because that's where um, he was from too. Uh, Lady Vanessa Cardona did some poetry. Who, uh, she's just like this stunning and wonderful performer. Um, always gives me a little bit of chills uh, and tears in my eyes to listen to her work. And um, of and then they they capped off the night um, with uh, a trio of musicians. Um, and the one that stood out was um, the fantastic Tilo Pais on percussion. Just this like wonderful man doing wonderful things with drums. And I think that, yeah, whatever... He's he's I guess just recently come to Edmonton and it was um wonderful and I bring this this event up because I really needed to see some like great uh uh Latin heroes um after seeing Sweat at the Citadel, <laughs> um, which is uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning play by Lynn Nottage and it's about um uh it's about it's about the working the working class in in you know in America there was it's kind of sort of centers around a steel factory and what's happening at this steel factory um and yeah there was the 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 latin character in in uh in sweat uh is the one who's of course like most invisible but also abused and um so i just felt like it was really great to see the um the uh, the great latin talent last night after seeing sweat Speaking of sweat, <laughs> yes, right. Do you want to get into that right now? Yes, let's do that. That's, that seems like what I should be doing. Is this is a big one. It yeah. sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, maybe just break down. Uh, what are some of the themes that sweat uh tries to tackle? 
So there's um, there's five main characters really in the show. Um, there are uh, Tracy and Cynthia, who are two women who work in a factory. They have a friend Jesse there, um, uh, and they these three women are kind of the show opens. You sort of see them partying and having a great time, and um, really uh, they they have good relationships with each other. Now, Cynthia and Tracy's sons, Chris and Jason, also um, start working at this factory. Um, and as the play progresses, um, it's really interesting because you see the the way that the play uses time. Um, they There's a, for an opening scene from 2008 where you see Jason. He's just out of jail. He's got a lot of um, white supremacist tattoos. Um, and he's uh, not in a good way. Um, and then he says that he saw Chris. So and then Chris comes out. Um, I'll point out that Chris and Cynthia are are black. They're, you know, family of color. Um, and and Jason uh, and his mom, of course, are white. So you you hear that this they he says he saw Chris and it um, and it really kind of affected him and then Chris you see Chris discussing this with his parole officer um and Chris is also talking about how seeing Jason affected him but that they hugged um and so you're wondering like okay they've both just gotten out of jail what happened um and so then it flashes back to the year 2000 and the flashbacks like all of the scenes um are set up by an over an overhead voice saying um, some news story that happens in in the year 2000. A lot of the 2000 news stories have to do with George Bush, um, W. Bush and um, his impending election, because we all know what happened in 2000 in November. <laughs> um, and then uh, 2008, when they flash forward to 2008, all of the um, news flashes are about um, the stock market crashing and the economy. So... Flashing back to 2000, um, you see what starts sort of starts happening in the factory, um, and uh, Cynthia gets a promotion, um, and Tracy, um, you see the racism start coming out um, uh, in Tracy, and um, the resentment of uh, that Cynthia got um, that got promoted, and that it it seems that you know she thinks that Cynthia is not standing up for the people on the floor um, because jobs start getting cut. And um, or, or the union actually starts um, offering um, uh, lower, lower pay and things like that. And uh, um, and it's in, in some ways it's because they're able to hire um, temp or foreign workers for a much lower rate. And this is all sort of played out by the character of Oscar. Oscar is a barkeep in the bar. This The entire play is almost set in this one bar. Um, and it's a kind of like conversations after work and stuff like that. So the Oscar works at the bar. And no matter what is happening, he is on stage almost the entire time cleaning gum off the chairs, um, folding, you know, folding towels and laundry, uh, cleaning up, that kind of thing. And he's just, he's just always there. But he's very invisible um and he's he doesn't have lines you know for a lot of it and um of course you know I don't want to reveal exactly what happens in the play because it's it is it does go on um it runs until let's say uh February 3rd so there's still a lot of chance to see it and I think that it's essential um that people do go see a play like this um and I really think that um it speaks to the racial tensions not only in um in, in America but everywhere in Canada especially and I think this play is really relevant with um an Albertan audience because 
you know, we had we we had and have this economy that is reliant on, you know, a resource that is not always going to stay the same. It's not going to be there forever. So it's important to see uh, work like this that comments on, um, you know, uh, how economies change and um, and how people react to them and react to the other people that are affected by that those types of changes is um it, it, it is really, um, it can be very heightened and, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of anger and a lot of, um, a lot of people who rely on things for generations that, um, not, aren't necessarily always, um, protected, even if you are part of a union, even if you, you know, <laughs> um, and the, and I think that this is really, um, uh, summed up quite fantastically by, um, the bartender. Um, his name, the character name is Stan played wonderfully by Ashley Wright in this play. Um, and he says, what the hell are you hanging on to? <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's just a really like sort of like aha moment. It was it was a power a very powerfully affecting play. Really great dialogue. I it, dialogue that you don't even like notice. You know that when you're it's so good that you're just like in the wall um, watching the play. And it was um um and I also want to point out the fantastic performances of Cynthia and Tracy, uh, Marcy T House and Nicole Saint Martin. Um, great to see just like very strong female characters. Um, but also and and essentially uh, factory workers too. So you wouldn't always think that maybe you ha they had to be female um but um but also um mature mature women playing them um because yeah it was just a fantastic cast all around there's a scene um a, a very sort of um kind of like uh what's the word what's the word when something sort of like predicts something else foreshadowing, foreshadowing yeah sort of um <laughs> there's an interesting uh scene where um uh, Tracy is outside the employee entrance having a cigarette um, and Oscar comes out and he asks to bum a smoke and she's just like, screw you, no. There's a lot of swearing in this play, I'll say, so I, I won't swear now because I'm bad for that. But <laughs> um, so she she tells him to screw off, essentially. And then uh, and then he's like, well, this is my area. You're outside the employee door, you know, um, and she's just kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. She has the privilege of being able to be wherever she wants to be. Right. And um, so Oscar sits down and he's like, well, it's my break. I'm still going to sit here. And then um, he says, you know, how do I get into the factory? How do I get a job at the factory? And she's like, you could never get a job at the factory. And he says, well, there there's this posting at the Spanish center, um, you know, and he brings he brings out the ad or whatever. And she can't read it because it's in Spanish. He's like, well, no, they're advertising for jobs at the factory. Um, and so this is the part of where Tracy starts getting in and kind of clues into what what's happening and the thing is is that her anger and her son's anger end up being at Oscar and at Cynthia but not at the people the you know the big people at the factory who are actually making all the money and you know screwing everyone else so you know you see this you see this anger of sort of like white society that is that is misdirected and um and it's just an very yeah, it's it's a very foreshadowing and telling scene about how it all starts crumbling and the and the resentment that people are feeling is is just not going in the right direction. 
Um, and, and, you know, yeah, I, I think maybe, I think maybe I'll leave it at that. Um, it was, it's a fantastic play for a straight, for a very straight, just dialogue based play at the Citadel. Um, I liked this one so much better than the humans, which was their one last year. Um, you know, you got to pick the Pulitzer Prize winning plays. Um, but I felt that this one actually spoke a lot more to um, an Alberta audience in terms of the way that our economy works and a lot of what our sort of blue collar workers look like um, and what they've what they've faced. Uh, and uh, you think you think about how things become understandable, even though they can be un, quite unforgivable. Um, in a lot of in a lot of cases, so I'll, I think I'll leave it there. How about how about we do that second act? From clearing the prairies with fire to planting elm trees along our streets, humans have been shaping the land at Edmonton for millennia, and it's been shaping us right back. Our pals on Let's Find Out are starting the new year off with a special live event called How Nature Shapes Us, and you can join in on this afternoon of short talks and live recording of Let's Find Out at the Almanac on February 9th. For more info about Let's Find Out and all of APN's member podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. Great. Okay. What's happening? Listings. All right. Well, as we just finished chatting about Sweat by Lynn Nottage is playing at the Citadel until February 3rd. And The Cardiac Shadow is a Northern Light and Good Women Dance um, co-production running at the ATB Arts Barns until February 2nd. And Lake of the Strangers, produced by Nahea Wynn, starring Hunter Cardinal, is at the Backstage Theatre until February 2nd. Miss Teen, a world premiere play by Michelle Rimmel, and uh, is being produced by Shadow Theatre at the Varscona until February 10th. And on January 29th, you can catch Bob the Drag Queen at the Winspear Center. Purse is first, everyone. Purse is first. I love Bob the Drag Queen. Um, Hansel and Gretel is coming up with Edmonton Opera. That's on February 2nd, 5th, and 8th. And Lend Me a Tenor uh, runs with Mayfield Dinner Theater. That's starting up on March, or on February 5th. So we've got a little ways to go for that then. Um, but there's there's lots of things happening right now, right under your nose. So um, go see some stuff, everyone. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinoff.